Welcome everyone to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Nira Pundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. Today we have the pleasure of having Ben Ryder, senior sports writer for Sports Illustrated since 2004, and the podcast host of The Edge. He obviously is an expert on the Houston Astros and has followed them from 2014 all the way to now. So once again, we'd like to thank uh, Ben for being on our podcast and uh, welcome. Um, one of the first questions I had for you, Ben, just for our audience is, what got you interested in sports writing and, and kind of what led you down that career path uh, as you're kind of going through school and, and where you are now? Well, you know, I always wanted to be a writer of some sort, and I love sports. Uh, so I guess it was kind of a natural outcome. I actually went to grad school studying international relations, uh, and I thought I might be a political journalist or something like that. Um, but I ended up getting a job as kind of an entry-level researcher and fact checker at Sports Illustrated. And over the years, I found that uh, sports is a really fantastic way to tell all sorts of different types of stories about our world through that lens, through a sporting lens. You know, I wrote a story about a Yankees pitcher named Hideki Arabu some years ago that some of your listeners might remember. You know, it was about a pitcher on some level, but it was also about an examination of depression and about cultural disconnection. This was a guy who came over to the U.S. from Japan and uh, really struggled personally and never found a home anywhere in the world. You know, I, wrote, I spent seven days a couple of years ago, maybe last year actually, uh, with Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez, uh, which was an interesting story. Uh, but that was really a story about kind of how celebrity functions in the modern world, you know, the pressures of celebrity and kind of the outsized influence that they end up having on us. Obviously all my work on the Astros is on one level about a baseball team that turned itself from the laughingstock of the league into a champion, but it was really about the business techniques and strategies that cutting edge organizations of all types are using these days. And obviously, as we've seen in the Astros story in particular, these can have positive impacts um, and some less positive effects as well. And the podcast I just released called The Edge is really diving into some of the pitfalls, some of the intended and unintended consequences of these new business strategies. So I've really found that it's a space that allows you to explore all sorts of stuff, all sorts of fascinating questions, including obviously medical issues. When you've uh, kind of progressed through your career in writing, obviously we've seen a change with, you know, you've kind of got on one hand the click, you know, on the internet, very short two paragraph stories to these kind of more long form stories. Mm -hmm. How have you kind of dealt with this change in sports writing, you know, over the past couple of years, particularly with internet and people wanting quick information? By being a bit of an iconoclast, I guess, as far as that, by trying not to engage as much, probably not even as much as I should, with that more kind of quick hitting type of stuff. For me personally, and I think ultimately for readers and consumers of media, the value really is in those deep dive type of stories, long form to use a catch all term. That's why when you know the Astros cheating scandal broke, I knew that I had to weigh in on it, right? It was almost like a personal responsibility as someone who had written a book a few years ago about the Astros rise to go back to this story and explain how it had devolved in the way that it had. Now, how could I have done that? I could have done that 
in a couple of tweets or something, you know, thrown some hot takes out there. Um, and I did do a few TV appearances and stuff, but it was important to me to really get to the bottom of it uh, in a rigorous and disciplined way. So instead of kind of coming out uh, with a bunch of stuff right away, I spent eight months investigating this thing to really figure out exactly what happened in a really uh, deep way. And I think, at least I hope, that there will always be a space for this in our media landscape and that not everything kind of devolves into the quick click sort of thing that you're talking about. Yeah, I loved reading your book. I remember getting it right before a plane flight for a meeting and I thought, well, this will at least keep me busy on the <laughs> airplane. And then I basically skipped the first few hours of the meeting, maybe one of Drew's talks <laughs> through all of it. Um, so in your book, Astro Ball, um, you wrote a lot about the changing analytics of baseball and in the nerd cave. And you know, right now for us, we're in the middle of med school and, in, and residency interviews. And a lot of what we're seeing is that we're trying to look for analytics to get ahead and pick the right applicants. Do you think that this type of advanced metrics that you saw um, baseball teams use could and should be used into business avenues, college applications, med school applications? Or do you think it's more of a mix and match with um, how the old scouts should do things and get a feel for the applicants? You know, my first answer is like, yes, absolutely. It should be incorporated into the process. Um, it's almost not even a, an option to do that, right? Like a lot of people describe it. This is almost table stakes to use a gambling analogy for any sort of organization. You can't really hope to compete without incorporating these sort of statistical models and methods of analysis uh, into your decision making. Um, but at the same time, I think you have to make sure that you don't go too far in that direction. It's a very powerful tool without a doubt, but it has to be used as a tool. You know, one of these famous quotes that uh, I use as a touchstone sort of in my work on the Astros is, uh, all models are flawed, but some are useful. Right, like you have to keep in mind that these can't be substitutes for your decision-making process, but they have to be a factor in them. Um, I wonder if we're getting to a point in which kind of human factors can actually be your edge, right? If everybody has these analytical tools at their disposal, uh, how much of an edge do they represent? Perhaps a marginal one, if yours are better. But uh, I think that if you recognize that these models are perfect, uh, and that you have to work harder to find data and find information that aren't captured by them, that maybe sometimes even contradict them. Softer data, things like people's work ethic and their characters, uh, things like that. Um, and in particular, ethics, right? Like ethics is something that's very hard for these models to capture. These models are kind of geared towards efficiency. And often we see how ethical behavior can in some way be an inefficiency, at least if you're solely bottom line results oriented. We see this all over the place. You know, and we apply analytics to crime and policing. And this is something that's close to my heart because I'm a member of the board of directors of the Marshall Project, which is a nonprofit um, kind of criminal justice journalism center in New York here that's devoted to criminal justice reform. We see how the use of data in policing can just lead to worse and worse discrimination as far as uh, you know who's getting arrested who's getting investigated punitive bail measures all sorts of things like that 
And I think that that was part of what happened with the Astros cheating, right? They lost sight of the ethical underpinnings of any organization um, and were so win-focused, win-at-all-costs-focused, uh, that it eventually led to their downfall. So that's a complicated answer to your question. Like, yes, any modern organization needs to have some sort of data analytics incorporated into its uh, process, uh, but I think that we see that the organizations that rely overly heavily on this run into trouble. And, um, you know, the baseball organizations especially have gotten so good at evaluating performance and um, like the analytical aspect. Uh, and obviously one thing that we deal with a lot is uh, the injury side. Mm -hmm. And uh, what have you seen um, that, it, that these organizations are doing um, to predict injury, predict return? Uh, and it seems like that's still an area that's not uh, very well uh, modeled or uh, very well understood at this point. Uh, what, what have you seen so far? It's not. A lot of people ask me, you know, what's the next frontier for edge, really, in baseball? You know, what's the next huge competitive advantage that if one team or a few teams figures out, it will really, you know, provide them with a big uh, edge? And it remains, as it has been for a long time, kind of injury prevention and understanding of injuries. And we're seeing certain organizations and certain kind of certain institutions outside of even Major League Baseball making some advances in this, uh, particularly using things like artificial intelligence and machine learning to analyze pitching motions, right? Because when we're talking about injuries in baseball, we're often talking about pitchers and pitchers' arms, right? And, you know, I've seen teams that are developing um, methods of analyzing kind of kinetic chains as far as motions and pitching deliveries, uh, even as far as prospects that they're considering drafting to try to figure out which guy has a motion that is most likely to keep him healthy. Um, and then also beyond that, to teach players they do have to throw in a healthier way. Now, I think we're a long way from perfecting this, but any team that can figure it out or even gain itself a slight advantage in this uh, could give itself tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in, uh, in, in kind of profit, really, right? Because every season, you know, when you talk to a manager in spring training, every season when you ask him about the prospect for the upcoming year, he almost always adds a prefix to all of his answers. You know, it's like, if we stay healthy, this will happen. If we stay healthy, then this should happen. Well, if you could figure that out, uh, even in some marginal way, then you've given yourself a huge advantage. And that's certainly a huge area of focus for many major league teams. One of the things you touched, touched on was the human factor and, and kind of with these injuries, having covered baseball for a while, you know, the, the general public will see metrics as kind of like how good they came back from a Tommy John, how good they came back from shoulder surgery. But what have you seen players struggle with the most in terms of injuries? Is there a particular injury where players mentally or emotionally have done worse with compared to, compared to others? Um, this is a bit anecdotal, but everybody talks about Tommy John surgery. You can argue that Tommy John surgery is the most famous sports surgery in the world at this point, right? It's like, like everybody knows it. So many people are having it. Um, most people come back from it. As you guys know well, no surgery is perfect. No surgery will have a 100% uh, success rate, but uh, the surgery have gotten very good. And some guys even come back throwing harder. Uh, after Tommy John surgery. 
likely not because of the surgery, but because of all the rehab and training they do to get themselves back, I think we understand. But still, like that one, it's not a career ender at all by any means. Shoulder injuries seem to be tougher from what I can tell. Um, the shoulder, and you guys know a lot more about this than I do, but the shoulder is so complicated. There are so many different structures and muscles and things in there that for a pitcher, even now, a bad shoulder injury can kind of be the death knell of, uh, of their career. And people are trying to, to work against this too, and they have for a long time. You know, you go into any major league baseball clubhouse before a game, you'll see pitchers working with all sorts of elastic bands and working on range of motion and strengthening their shoulder. They all have shoulder programs in Major League Baseball. But some people are pushing this farther than that. And I always think about where I was in January of 2019. I was at this facility called Driveline Baseball, which is in this warehouse outside of Seattle. And I was writing a story about a pitcher who was then pitching for the Cleveland Indians named Trevor Bauer. Uh, Trevor Bauer, if you look at him, he doesn't seem like a guy who should be a superstar pitcher, right? Like he's not athletically impressive. He's kind of slope shouldered. He's not six feet tall. He's not muscular or anything. But for throughout his life, he's kind of like hacked himself or engineered himself into elite into an elite pitcher. And a lot of that had to do with his unorthodox training methods. You know, when he was a kid, he had this long flexible tube that he would like wave above his head um, before his starts and all the other kids would make fun of him. But he was working to keep his shoulder healthy even from that, that young age. He's a big believer in long toss, right? Like long toss in baseball is when pitchers throw essentially as far as they can. It's a lot more than a game of catch. It's like you're throwing hundreds of feet to a throwing partner. Uh, he does this way more than anybody else. He trains with weighted baseballs, which was a big no-no kind of conventionally or anecdotally uh, for a long time. But he's been doing this for a while. And he took a lot of heat for doing this, right? It's hard to, to be somebody who does unorthodox things like this. Um, he's, he's made fun of, but he developed this program with his dad, who was himself an engineer, he almost like scientifically engineered himself into being a great pitcher. And the result is, you know, he's never been hurt. Uh, this year, he won the Cy Young Award as the best pitcher in the National League. So I'm sure a lot of this has to do with genetics as far as Trevor Bauer. I, even though he doesn't look impressive, I'm sure there's something inside him that has helped him. Uh, but he is certainly at the vanguard, along with organizations like the Astros and a few others, as far as how to keep pitchers in particular healthier throughout their careers. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And the one that comes to mind in the Bay Area is Tim Lincecum, yeah. where for a long time we were told he's got unorthodox mechanics, he's tiny, he'll never do well. And then all of a sudden he's doing well, um, wins the Cy Young. The Giants are the best team in history, much to Drew's dismay as a Cardinals fan. <laughs> um, but then he starts getting injured and breaking down. And then the flip story was, well, if he had had traditional mechanics, he wouldn't have broken down. And it's like, well, maybe everybody just has that career longevity built in. And over probably the next five to 10 years, we'll start figuring that out and start figuring out for better or for worse, how long those contracts should be, which unfortunately will probably be more to the detriment of um, pitchers and baseball players rather than the teams. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, in your podcast, you shed light a lot on the importance of getting an edge in sports. And there's kind of a fine line between um, getting an edge and cheating. Um, where do you think it's fair to draw the line in baseball? 
You know, this is a, a great question. And I think it largely comes down to the importance of regulation, right? Of rules and of the enforcement of rules, whatever they are, not just in baseball, but throughout society. When it comes to sign stealing, which was the Astros crime, really, teams have been doing this forever in baseball. You know, the earliest, the earliest recorded incident of a team being caught stealing signs was in 1876, which was the first year of the National League. You know, Hall of Famers did this. Bob Feller, the great Indians pitcher, took three years off in the middle of his career to go fight on a warship in World War II. And he came back with a high-powered telescope from that battleship. And he positioned it in the center field scoreboard in Cleveland Stadium. And they would steal signs using that telescope during games and signal batters at the plate what pitch was coming. So in some ways, this has always been almost like a beloved tradition in baseball. But the Astros clearly crossed the line. And they did it in part because the regulations, you know, there are some rules about what you can do and what you can do, but the enforcement was not there. And as Jeff Luno, the general manager of the Astros, told me in my podcast, he said, you know, when incentives are this powerful and there's this much money at stake, you can't stop people from compromising their ethics and morals to try to gain an edge. You can't stop progress. We have more and more technology that's going to allow people to go further beyond the line than perhaps uh, we could have anticipated in the past. So in my view, it's, that means it's just increasing importance on regulation, whether that's governmental regulation, whether that's Major League Baseball regulation, whether that's SEC regulation in the financial world. Um, that's the only thing really, especially in a world in which people have more powerful tools than ever before uh, to keep the playing field fair. Yeah, I think, you know, both Nirav and I have coached um, sports for, for our kids and Drew's well on his way to doing it. And there's no way when I'm um, coaching softball and listening to the other team, even if I'm not trying to steal signs, I'm trying to figure out which one is the <laughs> off-speed pitch. Yeah. And if I figure it out, it, I, I, I cannot say I am a good enough coach not to tell the kids it's an off-speed pitch coming. I just wish... <laughs> I, could, I wish I knew I could have just banged on a uh, trash can. <laughs> well, you, you know, Brian, sign stealing is still not illegal in baseball, right? Sign stealing itself, as long as, like I assume you're doing on the softball diamond, although I can't be sure, as long as you're using your eyes, as long as you don't have like a, a technology set up, like a camera system or a telescope, it's when you use devices and technology that according to baseball's rules, it becomes illegal. But if you're picking up off speed pitches from the, the softball pitcher with your eyes, I say that's okay. It always has been uh, in the sport. Awesome, thank goodness. <laughs> Don't tell the other parents though, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so Ben, um, you know, your job as a sports writer is obviously something that um, we are all quite envious of. And um, I know I <laughs> grew up reading Sports Illustrated every week, cover to cover. And uh, what has been the best aspect in your mind of um, covering sports for Sports Illustrated? <laughs> well, Drew, I might suggest you guys have more useful skills as far as a level of society than I do. <laughs> But uh, we could debate that. I Questionable, guess. yeah. <laughs> really, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really been this opportunity to use sports as almost an excuse at times to tell deep, colorful stories about, you know, phenomena in our world, societal developments in our world, and really to sometimes upend people's perceptions of what's really going on and changing people's perceptions in that way. Um, that's really what I've personally loved 
about uh, this line of work. And, you know, I, I feel like the importance of that is almost accelerating. You know, Brian, we were talking before about Tim Lincecum and, you know, this idea that, okay, so pitchers are throwing harder and harder than ever, but then they get hurt earlier. Uh, and then you're just kind of like running through these guys. It's almost like pitchers have become NFL running backs in a way in which they have a very short shelf life. Uh, and then it's just kind of like next man up. All right, this guy's damaged goods next. Like at some point you wonder like, is this sort of imbalance fair? Like, is, it, is there a better way to keep pitchers healthy and to, to kind of ensure like the fairness of all of these systems that have so much money in them and tend to increasingly hurt uh, the little guy. That's a big thing. And that's a big thing that I was looking at in my podcast as well. And uh, to wrap up with you, Ben, our, our, my final question for you, if you kind of had to create your Mount Rushmore of sports writers right now who are currently out there, who are your, who are your top five? You can include yourself if you want to, but um, who are your top five sports writers writing right now? Oh, boy, man. I don't, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot here. Well, look, like the guy that has really inspired me uh, and the guy whose work I kind of studied before I was doing my own is Michael Lewis, uh, who's, you know, I don't know if you could classify him as a sports writer, although he does write about sports, but the way that he does shed light on not just sports, but on kind of the world at large uh, is something that I really admire and I think is really powerful and uh, is something that I always try to aspire to in my own work. Man, the other four. There's so many. There's so much good work out there. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I can list the other four. Really, Michael Lewis is the guy for me. All right. Well, um, we greatly appreciate your time. Um, we all have read Astro Ball and listened to your podcast, The Edge. Um, it, it's been a pleasure. It's been really nice reading your work through Sports Illustrated through the year. I think we all have saved copies of some of the things that you've written. Oh man, it's great to put a face and a voice to the name. So we greatly appreciate the time and have a safe holiday season. Thanks so much. Same to you. Thank you for listening to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Nira Bundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. We look forward to hearing your feedback and hope you look forward to our next episode. Thank you.